Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we continue our new series, Body of Work. In this series, we're exploring what Paul has to say in Romans 12 about the different spiritual gifts that God gives us. And we're starting on the deep end of the pool. We're starting with what sometimes are called the special effects gifts or the charismatic gifts, the, the gifts such as prophecy and tongues, particularly prophecy tonight, but we're going to explore the general category of gifts that are the ones that really strike us. If we think about the sorts of things that that might make a headline or might be the sort of thing that show up on television, uh, healings, tongues, prophecies, etc. All these, these are the ones that capture our attention and, and the ones that cause the most controversy. And so we're actually starting there. And I struggled. I struggled to think about how we should work through these because they're challenging and trying to explain them in a way that's completely satisfactory to anyone is not necessarily a straightforward process. We can give a nice theological answer, but then we find something that challenges it. However, if we look at the principles around these gifts and we think about what God clearly says about those, it may not necessarily answer every question we'd like to hear about these gifts, but what it does is sets the tone for how we understand gifts in general and sets the tone for how we deal with the people who claim to have these gifts. Because if we think about those principles, too often we find that the people practicing, or at least allegedly practicing these gifts, aren't doing anything that actually fits what God has called us to do. So they've missed the boat. They, they've hung on to something. It sounds really good, but it's not. Therein, it returns me to what we were talking about last week. We were talking about hot dogs last week. We were on the 4th of July week, and so it's a great week to talk about hot dogs. And, and I found an article. I tucked it away, went back to read it just recently about hot dogs, and it said the surprise hit of the summer. And it was talking about all these different gourmet chefs who are dressing up their hot dogs this year. Apparently one place in New York, you can spend $30 on a hot dog on a premium bun because it's this special brisket hot dog and it's on a special potato bun. And I love hot dogs. I can't imagine spending $30 on one. But the point of the article was we, we think about all these premium meats. We think of all these different forms of barbecue and they get all the attention. And yet what's the thing that people go for at the barbecue? Quite frequently, it's the hot dog. It may not get all the fame. It may not get all the attention. And yet, while it may not be the most desirable in some ways of the different barbecued meats, it may seem sort of ordinary or even basic, it, it goes to the fundamental thing we often want when we want barbecue. We just want this nice smoked piece of meat. It's very satisfying. It's very easy to eat. And so barbecue after barbecue, we go for the hot dog. When we have hot dogs at Little Hills like we're going to have this coming Sunday. People enjoy those hot dogs. Why? Because they taste good. Again, might not set any culinary records, but it just is nice to eat. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, we often are seeking after the extraordinary. We're seeking after the premium multi-hundred dollar cuts of steak and so on. 
And God's calling us to desire the hot dogs of life, to, to hold on to those, because those are the things that are going to nourish us and satisfy us far more than those things that we're going to spend a fortune on and oftentimes aren't even as good. There have been plenty of times I've had something really expensive at a restaurant that wasn't nearly as good as just a basic smoked hot dog. And there are plenty of times that we're chasing after different gifts of the Spirit, different ways to see the Holy Spirit working in our lives. People will claim that you need to show this or that gift to, to really be a believer, that sort of thing. What God really is calling us to is something much more basic, just much more like a hot dog. And so let's pray tonight that God would help us to see where we really need to be chasing after a hot dog with all the nice condiments on it. And instead, we're chasing after something that's not going to satisfy. Would you join me in prayer? Father, please guide us tonight that we would hold on to the things that you value, that we would run from the things that you don't value. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to show your love to this world, to those who you've called together as the body of Christ, and to those who need your love who are not yet part of it. Help us to keep our focus on you and your glory and not on our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going into deep waters tonight, and it's sort of interesting to go into only the second week of a series and go to the, the topics that are harder to answer, and yet we're following the order that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12. If you turn there, if you'd like, we're looking at verse 6, and as we think about what Paul says there, he's going to start us on the deep end. Now, what should we make of these gifts? One thing that would be really nice as we go into this this study tonight would be if we could just see here Paul mentions prophecy and, and see Paul mention it in such a way where we know exactly what he had in mind, how it should play out, etc. But even if we look throughout Paul's letters, even if we look throughout the New Testament, we find ourselves with a muddied picture that people argue an awful lot about. What does it look like to be a prophet in the present age? How many prophets are there? Are there any more prophets? These are challenging questions and ones that people have spent a ton of ink arguing over the years. It's divided up denominations over the years. And then let's go a step further, because what's the difference between a prophet and an apostle and a teacher? We see in the different lists of spiritual gifts these things outlined. What is the difference? And that's not necessarily easy either. However, if we think about this as we read the, the, the passage tonight, and as we think about what we're talking about tonight, being more about that the Holy Spirit is working in different ways, revealing himself in different ways through God's people, and don't spend so much time trying to nail everything down, I think it will really help us. So let's go ahead, dive right in, Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 6. What do we find when we open up Romans Chapter 12, we see here, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to faith, to our faith. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 3, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And then Paul goes on to say, those who speak in tongues are doing it often to bring the focus on themselves. 
Now, we could spend the whole sermon on just what are tongues and what do we make of those. We're not going to solve that tonight. We're going to focus primarily on prophecy. But as we think about prophecy and how that ties in, it says an awful lot about tongues, too. Because here's the thing. Whether you believe that tongues are a continuing phenomena, whether you believe that prophecy is, the key thing that we see here is that our goal is to build each other up. Our desire is to love and to help one another. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14. He's been talking for a few chapters now about spiritual gifts and divisions in the church, and he says, here's the thing that you should be desiring. You should be desiring to build each other up, and that's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter what gifts we have. If it's something like prophecy, if it's something like teaching, if it's something like service, it doesn't matter. The calling is we need to build each other up. We glorify God when we're pulling each other up, when we're helping each other, when we're helping each other to see the places where we need correction. We're helping each other in those places we don't understand things. But the thing is we should be moving towards more com a more complete picture of the body of Christ. We should flee the things that tear apart and destroy and cause stumbling, and we should run towards how we help each other to be closer to what God wants us to be. Too often in the church, we have the exact opposite. We have infighting. We have self-promotion, um, those sorts of things. And when that happens, we're not building each other up. We're often tearing each other down. We're leaving each other stumbling. And that's something we should ask ourselves as we serve each other. In the things I say, in the things I do, am I causing people to be better equipped to do what God has called them to do? Or am I leaving them weakened, leaving them uncertain, leaving them stumbling about? Because that right there is the heart of how we use whatever gifts we have. Are we encouraging people? Are we giving them strength? We're all beaten down. I, I think that's probably true for most of us throughout a lot of life. There's often too many demands on us. Things aren't going well at work. Things aren't going well at home. Things aren't going well in the neighborhood. Things aren't going well in this place or that place or international news and domestic news. It all tears us down. What are we doing different as the body of Christ? Are we bringing refreshment? Are we building each other up? Or when people walk away from us, are they a little bit knocked down further than they were before? That's what we should be asking. Too often with tongues, it seems as though in the Corinthian churches, they're practicing what they called tongues. What was focused on was, look, I have this special gift to speak in a language you don't understand. The point was to bring glory to the person speaking it and to show that those other people were lesser because they weren't speaking in tongues and they didn't understand it. And in that, they the Corinthians thought, look, we're gifted. We're, we're showing the signs of the Spirit. We are those who, who should be viewed as spiritual, and yet they were missing the most important things about being spiritual, because they weren't building each other up. They might gather together, but when the people walked away from their gathering, those people that were on the outskirts were walking away less edified, probably discouraged. Something to ask each other, ask myself, am I, when people are around me, when they walk away, are they more encouraged? Are they more edified? Do they know more about God? And do they understand how God is using them more clearly? Or are they walking away feeling more inadequate, feeling more confused, feeling more beaten down? We should ask ourselves that, that sort of question. What kind of path am I leaving? And those places, the answer generally for most of us is not going to be a clear cut black and white, either one or the other. So what we need to be doing is looking, in what places in life am I sowing discouragement and confusion, and in what places am I sowing edification and God's glory? 
And those places where I'm, I'm doing the former, I should ask God, how can I not do that? How can I do the opposite? How can I build up? Now, that doesn't mean we don't ever correct or rebuke. We certainly do that. And Paul is going to even talk about, as we're going to see in a little bit, how the spiritual gifts can move towards calling people to repentance. So it doesn't always mean that we just affirm everyone. This isn't Paul's argument for giving participation trophies. Rather, it's a question, what am I accomplishing? And sometimes the question simply is, why am I saying what I'm saying? Does it lead to a path that someone can choose to do what's more God-glorifying, or does it simply discourage? Because even with the same information, it can do one of those two things. Sometimes it's just leaving people with question marks over their heads. Sometimes it's actually enabling them to be more what God has called them to be. When we think about Old Testament prophets, a lot of times they were super discouraging. They had terrible judgments to pronounce. They were pronouncing that people were going to be in prison, people were going to die. But they always pointed people on how that tied into God's judgment and the path to God's repentance. Sometimes it wasn't all laid out in every single thing they said, but there was a clear trajectory. And God honored those people who repented. It may not have meant that the, the nation got to go on. Sometimes judgment actually did come. But God didn't abandon his people, and the prophets helped the people, even as they faced judgment, to understand that. And so it was edifying, even if at first glance it just feels very discouraging. Maybe you've read through the Old Testament, a Bible reading plan, and you get to the prophets and you just get super depressed. And you think, well, that's what prophetic messages look like. They're super depressing. So... Maybe I should hope that I can give super depressing messages to people. There are people certainly in our present time who think what they need to do is offer doom and gloom to the nation and make it clear how everyone's a sinner. Well, everyone is a sinner, and it's worth sometimes talking about that sin, but it always needs to point to the gospel. It always needs to be tied into a path to God. Because if we simply let people know how they've fallen short, but we don't show them the way out, then all we're doing is laying a heavy burden on them that's ultimately going to lead them to despair. We're not called to be agents of despair, but of hope. And so that's a key part of this. And we see here in the, the back and forth in the Corinthian church, and what Paul's alluding to in the Roman church, that sometimes, too often, people will hold on to a gift, especially if God gives them a gift like prophecy or tongues. And they're okay with discouraging other people as long as the glory is coming to themselves. It's sort of like a boat. You think about what makes a boat. Well, it might have a sail. It may have a boat motor. It may have several decks or, or not. It may, uh, oftentimes if it's a little speedboat, it has that, that shiny sort of glistening paint on it. It probably has a, a registration number on the side of it. it might have some oars. It might have a, a really nice radio. People like to go out on the lake in the middle of summer and bla blare their music. It may have all that. There's all kinds of things that can form a, a, a complete picture of a boat. And, and without those, it may not be the boat that we would want. We may not mention it, but there's one thing that's really essential to a boat, and that's that it actually floats. If the boat doesn't float, it's a totally useless boat. It might still be, quote-unquote, a boat. It might have a great stereo, and it might have a beautiful sail that's 40 feet tall with beautiful colors on it. But if it's sinking to the bottom of the lake or the ocean, it doesn't matter. It's not any good for us. And likewise, if we think that we have spiritual gifts and we're, we're applying them, but we're causing people to sink, and we're not lifting them up closer to God and closer to each other, 
closer to ourselves and building relationships, strengthening relationships, then it's not really a spiritual gift. So the key thing here, and that's what we see clearly before we really get into any details about what prophecy is, is that prophecy is about building up, building up, even when it's discouraging, even when someone has to say, you're doing something that's sinful. We see that with the Old Testament prophets a lot. You're doing something that is deeply displeasing to God. It's building up because it's not building up to encourage people into sin, but it's not discouraging. It's not building up either if you simply tell them they're in sin and leave them there. Too often today, that's what the church's message can look like. People hear lots of condemnation, but they don't hear very much hope. We need to do both. We don't just give out hope that, that allows people to keep sinking, but think they're not sinking. But nor do we go ahead and hand them some rocks so they can sink faster. What we need to do is give them a life raft. And that's what the church is called to be, is a, a raft that, that helps people as they sink. And so the question should be, whatever gift I have, and most of us don't have spectacular gifts that people are going to say, wow, look at that powerful gift moving through that person. But whatever gift I have, how can I use it to genuinely serve others, to build others up? It doesn't matter if people acknowledge it. It doesn't matter if people think that I'm wonderful for it. What I need to be worried about is am I serving others and are people saying how wonderful God is? And if those things are true, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. That's where I need to be going. Now, I've already alluded to this, but the key thing here in this, besides love, and love is the first point that we see, the controlling picture of how the gifts are used, is that those gifts are also bound absolutely to the truth. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14, 27. Paul says, if, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the other weigh what is said. Notice what he says here. There's several key things here. One, if someone's speaking in tongues, he wants interpre interpreters. He doesn't just want noises being uttered into space so people can say, wow, look at that person. They must be doing something spectacular. Nor does he want them speaking over each other. He doesn't want wild commotion. And, and more importantly, that's not what Paul wants. That's what God wants. God doesn't want chaos. God doesn't want it just to be that everyone can be in their own ecstatic, look at me, I'm so spiritual place. God wants us building each other up. And so Paul says there needs to be order to it, and that order is tied to verification from Scripture. And that's what we see there, that people, he says, okay, so you have prophecies. We'll be checking those prophecies. Take a look at Romans 12, back there, verse 6 again. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, or it perhaps is better translated, the faith. With the idea being there, it's not simply enough to, to claim to have divine utterance. It never was. There were all kinds of false prophets in the Old Testament. There was a capital punishment, in fact, for false prophets. And Paul wants to say here, to the extent that someone claims to be prophesying, it needs to be bound to what God has clearly said. It's not about just having something to say. It's about something that emphasizes what God has revealed about himself. 
too often we see people who claim to be prophets today and and frequently what they say is in contradiction in some way to scripture maybe it's a contradiction directly to who god is who who the trinity is denying the son for example or, or the holy spirit or somehow overemphasizing some part of god's nature something like that oftentimes it's because it's completely drained and devoid of love there's nothing about what we've been talking about playing out in it it's simply glorifying the prophet there's also the sense though it seems as though and, and people have debated exactly how to make sense of this in the new testament that that there's a slight shift in what's meant by prophecy if everyone and that's true has the holy spirit working in their lives as believers if we believe and we follow jesus we can count on that the holy spirit's working in us some theologians have said well maybe prophecy is a little different today than it was in the old testament and again we're not going to solve this necessarily tonight but certainly some people have said maybe prophecy isn't so much about having a, an, an oracle thus saith the lord as having a divine nudging from the holy spirit when we say i think the holy spirit is encouraging me to say something to somebody but then being open to being wrong maybe we haven't heard from the holy spirit another another theory and i think this is a good one about what paul has in mind here is that as he's talking about prophecy in this context he has in mind essentially on fire spirit-led preaching of god's word we often think of prophecy as almost a possession where someone just spontaneously starts uttering words and they had no idea before what they were going to say god funnels words through them and out they come and sometimes we see something maybe a little bit more like that in the old testament but as we think about the apostles speaking prophetically we instead see them reflecting on the Old Testament and conveying the truths that the Holy Spirit is applying to that time through the scriptures. And so when we think about that, when we think about how Paul speaks, and Paul certainly speaks prophetically at times, he certainly is speaking as one who primarily isn't just a funnel for the Holy Spirit, but rather the Holy Spirit's using all the, the education and, and, and experience that Paul's had to then say something. And that's how we primarily should expect the gifts to come out today. It's not so much, wow, look at this person who just utters things. But let's look for people who spend their life studying God's word. And then because they're attuned to the spirit, are very keen to apply it to our lives to help us to understand how does this apply in this moment? And it seems like maybe that's a part of what's going on with prophecy. We don't want to deny that the 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 idea that there's ever a time that God could speak something that's more like an Old Testament prophecy. The Bible doesn't say that he's definitely, absolutely shut that off. Again, that's something that's debated. But what's very clear is it needs to be bound to the scripture. And so over and over again, we're told to test the things that we hear. If, if someone says they're speaking in the spirit, we should test what they have to say. And we test it by comparing it to what God has already said. Because while that person may or may not be accurate, we know that God's word is accurate. So we take the thing that has a question mark on it, we bring it to God's word and ask, now what? First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. No notice here, John isn't saying... Never listen to someone who says that the Holy Spirit's nudging them to say something. Never listen to someone who says, this is a word from the Lord. But test it. 
And we should, so we can't be naive and we shouldn't think that we're lacking faith to test the things that God might be saying against the things that God has definitely said. That's just good common sense. It's, it's like today as is, is more and more it becomes apparent that we're right on the verge of being of people being able to fake other people's voices and claim, and make it sound like someone said something they didn't or create false video that looks like someone's doing something they didn't. It, it's become very clear we need to test things. And likewise, Satan has been the deep faker of, of all time. He loves faking God and his voice. He loves making it look like God says things that God doesn't say. And so, for example, if someone says they have a prophecy and it clearly contradicts God's commands, we should run from that. If, if we see someone saying they have a prophecy, but it's causing division in the church, and it's not because the church appears to have gone down a heretical path or been unfaithful to God's word, but because of this very prophecy, we should severely question that. It looks like the boat that doesn't float. We need to ask serious, serious questions. When we actually look at these things, though, and we, we're, we're looking for love to be, to be interwoven throughout it, when we're looking for God's truth to be interwoven throughout it, we're much more likely to arrive at something that's real. We need to make sure we're valuing what's really important. Because too often, people who chase after prophets and listen to prophets today, they say they want to hear God's word. But God's word's right here, and we're missing out on it. We're getting something that looks superficially really good. And certainly, if someone has a alleged gift of prophecy, it looks really good. It looks really exciting. And yet, if it isn't filled with the truth of God's word, it's useless. I read just a few weeks ago about Francesca Gino, a, a professor at Harvard University. She's currently on administrative leave. She's authored dozens of papers on honesty and co-authored them, been an expert on, it was thought, on the psychology of people's honesty. Really interesting insights that she had found. For example, she had researched on one group of people uh, whether they were called to testify on something at the top of a document or the bottom of it. And, and she claimed that if people were asked at the very top of the document, they were more likely to be honest than if they were asked towards the bottom of the document. Interesting stuff, interesting insights into human nature, interesting insights into honesty. There's only one problem. While she was claiming to be super interested in honesty and and she wrote a book on on breaking unuse, unhelpful rules and, and helping us to think about what's really important. Well, she was breaking rules. She was breaking rules about honesty itself. It, it turns out, it appears now that she'd faked the results of many of these studies that she was claiming to have done on the research about honesty. How ironic is that? But it's not any more ironic than people who claim to either be chasing after God's word or speaking God's word. And yet they're not paying attention to the foundation that is God's word revealed to us in his Bible. And, and so what we need to do is just like, it seems like people got caught up in, in hearing all this stuff about honesty. And ironically, we're getting wrapped up in a lie. So too, when we chase after alleged prophecy, when we chase after people allegedly speaking God's word, but we're not testing it according to scripture and then holding them accountable when they fail to hold to God's word, when they fail to practice it as God does by showing love. We're in just as much of an unfortunate situation as all those researchers and all the people who followed that research that Gino had done. It doesn't do any good to do research on honesty and lie about it. 
And it doesn't do any good to chase after God's word, but not actually spend time in God's word, to not actually love people as God does. So how do we make sense of prophecy? Well, again, we don't solve the whole question of how it plays out in the world today, but we know these two key things. One is always going to be in line with God's truth. That contradicts God's truth, it's immediately irrelevant. It's worse than irrelevant. It's wicked. Second, it's going to build up the body of Christ. It's going to draw the body of Christ together, and it's going to allow the body of Christ to glorify God more fully. It's not about glorifying the prophet. If we look at these two things, what we can see is that the vast majority of what's claimed to be prophecy today clearly is false prophecy, clearly is not what God is working through. And we can just throw all that out the window from the get-go. And truly, that's actually what we can do with not just prophecy, but all the spiritual gifts. If someone's claiming to be gifted, but isn't holding on to God's truth, isn't holding on to building up the body of Christ, but is instead a divisive force, if we see those things, then we don't even need to get any further into the specifics of the gift. We simply can pitch it right there. Now, are there tongues today? Are there prophecies today? I'm very hesitant to, to limit God's spirit, and I've become more hesitant over time as I've heard stories from missionaries working in the field that didn't necessarily even think that God did these charismatic gifts today, and said, but then they witnessed things that they couldn't explain happening. I'm very hesitant to say, well, God will not do this. But let's focus on what God will do. Too often we focus on these question mark areas. What do we do? What do we know? We know that God will speak through his Bible to us. We know that God will build up his church. If we hold on to those things, we're holding on to what's truly important. And then how do we expand from that? Well, we share God's word. We share it lovingly. We listen as the Holy Spirit nudges us and directs us. And it doesn't matter if we can put on the title of prophet. In fact, we shouldn't seek such titles. What we should seek is to see people drawn closer to Jesus and drawn closer as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we do that, we understand that the gifts are meant to draw us all closer to God, that that's the key thing here. We may not all agree exactly theologically. We may even have some question marks that we await someday in heaven to fully understand how these gifts work. But we actually are doing what God has called us to do in this moment. And that's the summary. That's the heart of what, what, what Paul is talking about. It's the heart of what Jesus talks about to his followers. It's the heart of what we find all the way throughout Scripture, going back to the Old Testament prophets, going back to the very beginning. That's what it's about. We're called to, to love God and to love our neighbor. And when we do that, we bring glory to God, and we see him working in ways far more spectacular than any special effects gift in itself. Would you pray with me, please? Father, so often we want to seek after the things that will cause the world to, to hail us as gifted, to hail us as authorities, to, to bring us glory. Too often, even when it's not about us, we find ourselves wanting to see these things because they're exciting and, and they feel like, well, if I seek after someone who has some special gift, then, then I'm really being spiritual. But Lord, would you help us to remember the thing that's truly spiritual is to seek after you. The, the root of the truth that you give us is in your word. And it's in the, the Son of God, the, the very Savior of the world, that we find in that word. 
Would you help us to seek after Jesus? Would you help us to, to seek after his church and to, to build each other up? Would you help us to flee those places that we misuse gifts or we mislabel gifts or we miss out on the things you have gifted us to do because we want something quote unquote better? Would you help us to remember that our true hope lies not in what we can do, but what, in, what Jesus has done for us. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. And, and maybe if you've been wrestling with these things, that it helps. Not, not because we've answered everything, but because as we explore God's word together, we certainly see what's important to God. Maybe part of the reason we can't hammer all this down is because as much as we as human beings want to do that, it's not really what's important to God. So let's share what's important to God. And I certainly would appreciate it if you give us a like or a share. We're just going through God's word together. That's what we do every week. As you know, if you've been with us coming to Steadfast and sharing in the, the community chat and so on every week together, that's what we do, right? And, and I'm so thankful for all of you and how you help to apply it and think about it as we go through it together. And when you share it or like it, maybe you can help someone else go from seeking after the things that aren't actually glorifying to God, to understanding what really matters and how they too matter to him. So thank you for helping with that. Next week, we are going to dig into the gift of service. And it's sort of, we're going to jump to the other end. That's not the most exciting, right? Oftentimes, service is very unexciting and very unglorifying to ourselves. But it certainly does the things we're talking about tonight. It brings glory to God. It shows love to other people. So I hope you'll join me next week for that. This coming Sunday, please do join us at Little Hills as we have hot dogs together after service, barbecue hot dogs. And we get to hear for the second time this summer from Jason as he brings God's word again. I can't wait to share in that service with you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. If there's any way I can be praying for you, feel free to shoot me an email or drop a text at the texting line that you see on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. We can build each other up, encourage each other. That indeed is the best sort of thing that we can do. That's what we're called to do. Well, have a blessed week, and I will see you again very soon.